Welcome, Welcome to, to Podities, Podities, your home for strange stories, odd events, weird history, bizarre tales, unique places, and different perspectives. That's Kale. And that's Meg. And we are sisters here to bring you an ode to the odd. We have always been interested in the weird stuff. If your favorite holiday was Halloween and you planned your costume months or years ahead, you might belong here. Um, that was a really weird, random example, and I have no others, but... Um, <laughs> uh, it's perfect, though. It, it, is it? Okay, because yeah. we really don't know what we're doing. I just pitched the idea to Cal one day that we should do a podcast, because I started listening to them last year. Don't make fun. I didn't know they existed before that. Um, and I've devoured everything I can find that's um, history, nonfiction, of course, true crime, weird things and all that. And I was like, hey, we love weird things. We talk about weird things all the time. I mean, when we were planning your wedding, you came over once a week and we planned stuff, but mostly it was me relaying to you super weird, gross, awkward tales and facts that I had learned that week from what I read. And it didn't seem to gross you out too bad. It was oddly perfect timing. If anything, I think it helped me forget the stress of wedding planning yeah, because I was like, what the fuck are you talking about every time? It's really, it can be really interesting. Uh, I don't know what what caused it. I've been a stay-at-home parent since my twins were born almost eight years ago, and um, I've always been a reader, and at some point after graduating and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, I fell in love with history and a lot of the darker things that they don't tell you in history class. Um, people behind the scenes, things that happen, uh, especially the history of medicine and healthcare is incredibly intriguing victorian england london new york city it's i'm getting really excited so <laughs> so before we started we were just chatting about things that we had read or watched lately to kind of break the ice we're both a little uh speaking anxious so hang in there with us but i had just mentioned that i got in the mail capturing the devil the most recent and last in the Stalking the Jack the Ripper series, and I cannot wait to read it. If you haven't read the series yet, this is the fourth book, and it has to do with H.H. Holmes at the Chicago World Fair and his murder house. And if that's intriguing to you, you're in for a ride because this podcast is going to be your second home. Um, and if you haven't read it yet and you haven't read the novella that came out right before it, Becoming the Dark Prince, it's short. It's only 99 cents. You're going to want to read it. It's got a really cute, to me, important story that you should read before starting the last book. So she hasn't read them yet. I'm bugging her. But now that the series is finished, I think... You like series that are finished a little bit more. It's easier, I think. Yeah, I don't like having to wait for a book to come and, out. Yeah, I, I, I fall sucker to some of them because they're so good. But then by the time the next book comes out, I feel like I've forgotten because I read so many series and so yeah. many different books. So you had a movie recommendation. Yeah, so I... <laughs> compared to... Yeah, I know. Yeah, one of these Going things from is not like too. the other. You know, Detective Pikachu... Um, Finally watched it. Already planning when I'm watching it next. So fucking good. Did ten we, out of ten. Did we ever find out if the R-rated version was fake? Was that a rumor? We talked about it last week, and I forgot to Google it. 
I totally forgot about But that. I read somewhere that they were going to be doing an R-rated version, and I think my heart skipped a beat because I don't know what would be better than the combination of, like, a childhood cartoon, Ryan Reynolds, and Cuss Words, but I am, I'm all for it. Same. I hope oh it's God. real. Same. So adorable. So this episode, we're recording early, but it's going to be launching on Friday the 13th, which was intentional on our part. It's one of our favorite days. Um, I got married on a Friday the 13th, actually, so that was also intentional. So we're super excited to bring to you the first part of the podcast. We're actually going to be breaking each one down kind of into thirds where, um, okay, little bit of a backstory. We have this joke where our minds kind of run like a Mac browser window where you can swipe left to right and everything is connected in that stream. That's how weird facts and random things are to me. So we find a way to pair these stories that have something in common, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Is that what that thing is called? Yeah. Where all the actors you can relate based on like one movie they're in with somebody else. So that's what we're doing with these topics. So to kind of ease into it, we're going to talk about Friday the 13th um, as pop culture and then Friday the 13th in history. And we're going to go a little bit more into superstitions. And then at the end, I have a very specific fairy-based superstition. So they're, they're kind of connected, and we're going to try to bring to you a story to bring them together. So you want to start off? Yes. So we're starting off, of course, with one of my favorites, the Friday the 13th movie. The original one released in 1980. Last time we were talking about how huge this movie is it's it started revolution's not the the right word but it started a movement in horror movies that up until that point had not been present and is iconic still to this day and there are still um oh i'm sure it extends to graphic artists movies games but they they still base a lot of current iterations on some of the qualities that Friday the 13th brought to the screen. They even just recently came out with a Friday the 13th game that's available on, like, I think the Wii and the Wii. Oh, is it? It's a video game now? I always thought you were going to say board game, and I got a little excited. I don't know how that would work, but... Yeah, I have no idea. Somebody do that, please, and let us know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll kickstart it. Um, Yes. Yeah, so Friday the 13th was largely inspired by John Carpenter's Halloween, but it was very different... And they were only two years apart, but Friday the 13th really started the 80s slasher phenomena. I didn't realize they were so close together. Yep. Halloween was 1978. And then this came soon after. And it was... A lot of people did not like it at the time. I'm not surprised. It only had a $550,000 budget, but it made over $39 million. What? Like, up until this point? Or was that the, like, box, like, are we talking, like, opening, like... I don't think it differentiated. I didn't even think about that. Well, because if... Yeah, because I was just thinking it said that it wasn't super popular at first, so I bet that was probably... But it was, though. Oh, it was? it was a very hit or miss thing. Oh, like a highly debated kind of thing. Okay. That's still a lot of money, especially if it was back then. Yeah. And that's what led to all of those classic slasher films. Prom Night, My Bloody Valentine, Sleepaway Camp, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm pretty sure, uh, when was My Bloody Valentine? Was that, like, closer to us than, like, the 70s? It was 80s. Oh, was it? Okay, there have been a lot of remakes of it. I saw one of them in the movie theater, and it was 
Valentine's Day themed. Never thought Valentine's... Well, I don't really like Valentine's Day, so I shouldn't say I never expected it to be creepy, but, you know, hey, bring out more. I like it. Yeah, definitely. So you want a couple of facts that I don't think you have in your research there? Yes. Okay, so you've probably heard of some of these. I believe these to be true. Please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. We can uh, take a little inspiration from Karen and do a corrections corner if I mess up. Um, So you already talked about how he was inspired by Halloween. Um, So the original title was Long Night at Camp Blood, which I think sounds like if you mixed Friday the 13th and Percy Jackson together... Yeah. And that would be really badass. That would be really cool. Um, you can actually still visit where they filmed. It's Camp Nobi Bosco in New Jersey. And this I found really interesting. It kind of shows how just one decision to go left or right impacts a whole lot of things. And uh, the actress, Betsy Palmer, who played Mrs. Voorhees, only agreed to join the production because she needed the money to be able to purchase a vehicle. Otherwise, she wouldn't have signed on. Which is funny, because I'm sure she got lots of money to buy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, royalties, yeah. I don't know how those work, but... Yeah, probably to this day. I yeah. Mean, the original is still a classic. They're still making merch for it. Oh my gosh, yes. It was made into a remake with Jared Padalecki from Supernatural. Yes, yeah. It was awful, but it, yeah. I mean, they're still doing it. Don't don't blame him, though. The hair is oh, still know. perfect. <laughs> oh, no, that reminded me of something, and I totally just forgot, but I'll probably blurt it out later. Oh, so something else I found really interesting that I didn't realize this until I read an interview with, I believe it was the director, um, where they picked the music to represent the killer and the villain. So instead of having music, like, all throughout, like we do with a lot of movies, regardless of the genre, um, the sound only played whenever Jason was on the screen. And it built up that intensity. And um, apparently the key, key, key that is in the audio is a quote that he said when he saw an advertisement for the film, the quote originated as kill her mommy. Then he took the K-I and the M-O from the kill and mom, ran it through a synthesizer, and then that was after it was spoke really gruffly, um, and that gets that iconic, creepy audio clip. I don't know how you even come up with an idea like that, but that's awesome. I, that Yeah, I mean, well, it, it's very, uh, it reminds me of what they did for the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Because they don't know what the roar sounded like. I can't remember specifically, but I believe there were like four or five different noises. Yes, and it was like part lion, part something else in order to get that, and I never would have thought of that. But there's also an episode in Bones where Angela references a sound database that I think is was a reference to something in real life. I completely forgot about it, but it houses different sound clips so like a raisin being dropped into a glass of water or something else being dropped into a glass of milk so you can scan through and see if you can match the audio of those specific noises to whatever you're referencing Hmm. that's crazy that was two pop culture references i should probably get back to work um jason was originally named josh which Does not sound, uh, no offense to anybody named Jason or Josh, but Josh does not sound like... Who could take that seriously? Maybe it's just because we have a cousin named Josh, but yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, I don't... Doesn't quite a... No. 
So then, let's see, my last fact that I have for it um, was that the screen screenwriter does not like the remakes and sequels due to the fact that they made Jason into a villain. And like in the initial film, which made the mother the villain and the dead son the victim, which I thought was a really interesting perspective, too. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's that's true. Because that's also very different, the fact that it wasn't actually him. Yeah. That was the, you know, the villain. Unlike, you know, people like Freddy Krueger, who are, people are like, he's the best, but he, like, molested and killed children. Like, you know? Yeah. But no, yeah. I never thought about that. You have anything else about Friday the the movie, Friday the 13th? I don't think so. You don't think so? We can skip into the history then? Yeah. Stuff is gonna get interesting. Alright, so... Friday the 13th throughout history, in the last 100 years, there have been roughly 140. The possible earliest incarnation of fear of Friday the 13th dates back to the translation of the Code of Hammurabi, where the 13th law was left out. For years, people thought that there being no 13th law meant that there was negativity associated with the 13th law or the number 13 but it turns out that um the laws actually weren't numbered it was numbered when it was interpreted nope interpreted (laughs) great all right now i've mispronounced something hopefully that breaks the ice for me um the 13th law ended be ended up being left out as a clerical error and not a tactic of any kind to incite fear I did not know that either, which I thought was interesting. But there's tiny mistakes like that throughout all of history. So a quick look at the religious origins. Um, We have the Last Supper, which included Jesus and his 12 apostles, the 13th person to dinner was the one to betray him. Likewise, at a feast in Valhalla, the balance was upset by Loki, the 13th person to join the dinner party. And when they attempted to remove Loki, their favorite fighter was killed. So that just added to the fear of Friday the 13th and that type of mythology. And then we can look at the fact that Jesus was... Did I just say Jesus? Jesus was crucified on a Friday. I'm so anxious right now. Eve supposedly gave Adam the apple on a Friday. And Friday is also the day that killed that Cain killed his brother Abel. Sorry, yes. friends. You're awesome for already sticking through me. I'm tripping over words here. What were you going to say? I guess you can't say that they're living for the weekend. <laughs> no. Um... Fridays, so have obviously been regarded as evil because of the death of Jesus and other religious um, ideas. There have been multiple Black Fridays, not the kind that we associate with shopping at Thanksgiving time, but a Black Friday when the stock market panics. And then also the traditional English day for public hangings was Friday. So that's just a little bit of the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae that's fear of 13. There actually was a book, too, not based on the pop culture icon. It was a book written by Thomas William Lawson in 1907. And in the book, a stockbroker plays on the fears of others to create chaos in Wall Street on a Friday the 13th. Then this is my favorite. And I want to know which of the two is your favorite out of these, Cal, and anybody listening. There are two Friday the 13th clubs that I've come across. So one is called the 13 Club. 
It came in the late 19th century, and it was created in an effort to disassociate Friday the 13th with bad luck. So what the club did was they dined on the 13th day of the month in room 13 of the Knickerbocker Cottage and enjoyed a 13-course dinner. And if historical rumors are true, the cost of each dinner was 13 cents, or you could purchase a lifetime membership for $13. I love it's so cool. Oh, I want a Friday the 13th club where we yeah. have a 13 course dinner. And then the second Friday the 13th club was based in Philadelphia and was comprised of a group of 13 men. They would meet every Friday the 13th from 1936 to 2000, at which point the meeting stopped because they believed they would all be dead. I don't why 2K 2.0. I don't really nobody really knows why they thought they would all be deceased by that point. And at 1313 military time, they would dine on lunch and commit as many superstitious acts as they could, including walking under ladders, spilling salt, breaking mirrors. And if you look at the time when the club was created, it was during the Great Depression. So really incredibly difficult point in history. And I read about people bringing mirrors from places where they worked and smashing them was to let go was to give them some relief and entertainment, quite frankly, that was free because no one had money to spend. There really wasn't a lot of entertainment to be found. Um, I wonder if they kept like a record book of who committed the most superstitious acts the least amount of time. That would be really interesting. I wonder how many there were. Oh, I have a list that we can, we're going to touch on some weird ones throughout history, but I just, you said that and my brain went to those uh, shows in the 90s where you would win a shopping pass and you got empty shopping carts in a toy store and you had like, say, a minute to scoop as much as you could. I was thinking of that, but like going through a store and like running aisle to aisle and committing as many superstitions as possible, like go to the (laughs) spice aisle and pour out some salt, go to the makeup aisle, break some mirrors. That'd be a good way to keep track of it. So, which one do you like better? Do you like the 13th Club in the Knickerbocker Cottage or the Friday the 13th Club where uh, they'd commit all the superstitious acts? Obviously the 13th Club because all I want is to be a hobbit and a 13th course dinner is what I'm about. Yeah, it sounds so good. I wonder what they would serve. Also, you know who would kill for a 13th course dinner? Ron Swanson. So, <laughs> if that brought me closer to Ron Swanson, um, that's also good. Does the the party platter that he gets count as a 13-course dinner, the one that he orders that's just for him? I don't think it would. No. <laughs> is that just one course for him and second course is the bacon and the tile ceilings? Probably. Yeah, probably. Anyway, I saw sorry. the best meme about him yesterday. I think it was... um. Him, he was on Stephen Colbert, maybe, and somebody told him that he had the most um, convincing, like, mean face, and he had a beard, and he did that cr- that crazed look, and then the one immediately down from it was him giggling, and yep. his cheeks were all red, and I just burst out laughing. I love it so much. Okay, but back on track. We'll talk more Ron Swanson at some point, probably. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so we have a few really long, difficult words to say that are phobias about Friday the 13th, and I'm going to try. The first one is just fear of the number 13, which is triskaidekaphobia. Then there are two versions of fear of Friday the 13th. I believe one is Greek and one is Norse. 
<laughs> you laughing in anticipation of these pronunciations. Yes. Um, Paraskavdecatriophobia, which is broken down into Friday 13 and fear. And then the Norse one um, I thought was interesting. I read a couple of opinions that they believed that Friday was named after Frigga, the Norse goddess. Others weren't so sure, but I really liked it. I thought that was interesting. So the fear of the Friday the 13th that the Norse, that's Norse-inspired, is Frigga Triskaidekaphobia. I think having, an, having a phobia named after you is pretty cool. Yeah. I read about people having diseases they discovered and conditions named after them, but superstitions, that's kind of neat. Sure. That's different. It says that um, 10% of the population has a fear of Friday the 13th. And there are estimates that anywhere from 800 to $900 million are lost annually because of people's fear of Friday the 13th. And it must be that they don't go out and do their normal shopping and money spending on a Friday the 13th. That's, That's it's just so crazy. So much money. I can't comprehend that. I find like a quarter in a pants pocket and I'm excited. <laughs> Throughout history, there were suspicion of secret rituals and... Okay, let me start over. I... Apparently, my anxiety extends to my written version, too. My notes. On suspicion of secret rituals and being enemies of the church, the French king Philip IV arrested hundreds of Knights Templar in 1307. And this is where I believe, historically, is the root of the initial fear of Friday the 13th was because of this Knights Templar in 1307. And then throughout history, there have been other things that have added to it. There was the German bombing of Buckingham Palace in 1940 that deployed five bombs, destroying their chapel and killing one person. In 1964, there's the murder of Kitty Genovese. And then in 1996, the murder of Tupac Shakur. But remember, he's not actually dead. Yeah, right. I actually just listened to a podcast about him, too. I'll, ref I'll uh, recommend it at the end if I can remember. There are good things that have happened on Friday the 13th, like Super Mario Brothers being released in oh. 1985. Yes. The first scientifically recognizable dinosaur eggs were discovered on a Friday the 13th in 1859, which is definitely a good thing. So cool. Thank you. You probably had a hand in helping give us Jurassic Park. The first heavy metal album was released by Black Sabbath in 1970, and I did read conflicting information on this. Some people believe that's not true, but this seemed to be the consensus. I, myself, am not a Black Sabbath fan, so, um... What do you... What? Th well, they were... Like, they were if they count as heavy metal? If it counts as the first heavy metal album, because there have been other types of heavy metal that they've classified that have come out around the same time, but it wasn't the all-encompassing genre of heavy metal. It was a specific type of heavy metal. Gotcha. That's, could, that's fair. I could see both sides. Of yeah, I don't, I can't remember the specifics. It was pretty um, in-depth, but if anybody has an idea, um, understands that and knows the answer, please feel free to let us know. Please and do. Yeah. Yeah, I would be interested to hear thoughts on that because I'm a classic rock person and Black Sabbath always falls in that category. That was, it was the most common answer that I got, but again, there were just always a couple of articles that were like, well, maybe, you know, yeah. Little Devil's Advocate. This one's really neat. We had the first female pilot instructor. Her name was Evelyn Kilgare 
Breer or Breyer was certified on a Friday the 13th in 1938. She had a very interesting life. She ended up marrying a fellow pilot who at one point was her instructor and they built their own um, airport and they had an apartment built over one of the hangars where they lived and that's what they did their entire life. They trained and they helped. It was, if anybody's interested in you know, strong female models throughout history. Definitely look her up. Her name's Evelyn Kilgare Breyer or Breer. And then the last one that I have written down is that Alfred Hitchcock was born on Friday the 13th in 1899. And I didn't know that. That's just so freaking cool. Very suiting for him. I say that and now I hope that it's not wrong. <laughs> um, so there's a completeness that we associate with 12 that goes against 13. We have 12 days of Christmas, 12 months in a year, the 12 zodiac signs. There were 12 labors of Hercules, 12 gods of Olympus, and 12 tribes of Israel. So it's, I think it just lends more to that 12 seems natural, 13 doesn't. Mm. Uh, so for a month to have a Friday the 13th, that month must start on a Sunday. There is at least one Friday the 13th every year and a maximum of three. There can't be any more than that. When a calendar year starts on a Thursday, there will be a pattern of three Friday the 13ths happening that year in February, March, and November. It's a pattern that repeats every 20 years, and we did double check. It's true. I thought that was really cool. I had never heard that before. Who figured that out? I oh Historians gosh. of some kind, probably. That's crazy. So neat. Oh, other countries, Friday the 13th superstition. These are always really interesting. In Spanish-speaking countries, I read that the date to be afraid of is a Tuesday the 13th, not a Friday. And in Italy, it's a Friday the 17th. I don't know why, but um, in Japan, the unlucky number is four. I read that it was, it's very similar to the word for death, so it's avoided. And many buildings do not have a fourth floor, like how we often don't have 13th floors in hotels and other buildings. And since 1995, Finland has declared one Friday the 13th each year specifically to safety awareness, which I love. That's so cool. Talk about turning something generally seen as spooky or taboo or whatever into a learning experience for people. That's true. So then we've got some superstitions that I wrote down that are pretty common that have some origins that I thought you might be interested to hear. They're not pretty long, but uh, so the first up is the umbrella, and historians believe that the phrase or the idea of not opening an umbrella indoors originated in Victorian England because at that point in time, umbrellas were relatively new inventions, so they didn't work fantastic, and you didn't want to risk opening one up inside and having it malfunction and knock something over or anything like that. Hmm. So you just did it outside. Um, ladders. Ancient Egyptians viewed the triangle as representative of the trinity of the gods. So a ladder leaning against a wall creates a triangle, and to walk through it would mean to dishonor the gods. In more modern religious views, the ladder used at the crucifixion became a symbol of betrayal, and walking under it would cause misfortune. Um, I, there's also something to be said about three sides to the triangle. We see a rule of three all throughout history pop culture i mean you've got the video game bosses that have to be killed three times to disappear you've got the celtic knots you've got the charmed sisters power of three wow it's a common 
common thing once you know to look for it. Kind of like if you get a new car and then all of a sudden so you, you see that car, that car everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yep. So next up is Broken Mirrors, which was always one I knew was associated with the seven years of bad luck, but had never heard where it came from. And it's between ancient Greece and the Romans. We get the modern superstition. There was a form of divination called catopromancy, which involves submerging a mirror in water and then placing it in front of a sick person to determine the outcome of their health. A distorted image in the mirror meant inevitable death. A broken mirror can produce a distorted image, calling for seven years of bad luck and health, which stemmed from a commonly held belief at the time that people had cycles for their health that changed every seven years. Isn't that cool? That's, wow. I don't know. I, I mean, is that like the older version of like how your palate changes every seven years? Because I've heard that, but not the, not the health. Yeah, this, I never heard that. This one I like. Black, oh, is this it? Yeah, black cats. Okay. So even though ancient Egyptians worshipped cats and believed black cats were sources of good luck, Europeans during the Middle Ages forever redefined our superstitions surrounding them. At this point in time, black cats were thought to be familiars of witches or even witches themselves, and crossing one was bad luck. I don't have it written down, but I remembered it. The idea of a cat having nine lives originates from a superstition that a witch can take a cat's form nine times in her life. Why nine? That I don't know. I couldn't figure out. But numbers have really weird meanings that are significant in micro history. So I think I'd have to do a little bit more broad of a search. But I thought that was really cool. That is cool. But I gotta say not cool of the Egyptians because it's like still a thing that people have weird associations with black cats. Like yeah. They're still supposed to like not let them outside on Halloween. They go missing. Well, it was okay with the ancient Egyptians. It wasn't okay during um, the Middle Ages and Rome and Europe. Um, and I think I might be incorrect. I'll correct this at some point if I am. I want to say that because of the plagues that went through, the fleas that could infest people could be on cats and dogs. And so when there were a lot of uh, stray cats in town, you would probably see a rise in plagues because of the infected fleas. So, um, and at one point, the Pope actually banished cats from Rome because of this. So that was also another reason why people don't like cats as much, I guess. Sad. Talking about the plague and like... Lots of people died on, like, cats. <laughs> Lots of cats, too. <laughs> or dogs. Yeah. Then next up, we have wishing wells. In ancient times, tossing a coin into a wishing well or a pool was to make an offering to the water deities who lived there in exchange for things like good luck, success, fertility. As time went on, the practice changed, though, and in the medieval era, the militia... <laughs> The mythological deities were replaced with religious saints. So now, if you threw a coin into a wishing well, those offerings were being made to the saint instead. And you would pray to specific saints. You would give those tokens to specific saints in charge of um, illnesses and health, luck, all that. We used to have a wishing well. The first house that we ever lived at as a family had a little one in the front yard. And I always loved it. So I think I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for it. Aren't there negative things associated with wishing wells, too, though? Yes. 
Okay, I was gonna yeah. say. There are more, too. There are good things, bad. I mean, it's water. Water has a long history with superstition, and then you add in religion and mythology and... All right. So, I think we're down to... That was the last of the superstition origins that I had that I thought were my favorite and probably the most common and most heard of. I've got some really random ones here if you want to hear some random ones. Sure. All right, uh, let's see. In 1816, the appearance... Oh, my goodness. The appearance of a trio of butterflies flying together is held as a message of death. Dang. Which, were they moths, not butterflies? I've never heard negative things associated with butterflies before. Unpopular opinion. I have never liked butterflies. They, they're... I get it, judged for that. Insects in general are very creepy up close. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it the flying, like... That well, you don't like about it? Their faces their are faces. nightmares up close. Oh my gosh. Ladybugs are like that. Ugh. Yeah. So let's see. In 1787, touching a corpse was supposed to prevent dreaming of it, which is actually probably kind of not as gross as you initially think. It's probably kind of sweet. If you were to lose somebody at that point in time, it... We didn't know anything about medical death. We were afraid everybody was dying at a young age. Probably, you know, thought to keep away nightmares and bad dreams. I'm sure we've all had them after losing someone. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if we can find a really weird one. I probably should have done this ahead of time. Oh, nose itching. In 1620, when a man's nose itcheth. That was not me. That's how it was, uh... Just just in case you're judging me if I messed up again. It is a sign that he shall drink wine. In 1738, my nose itched and I knew I should drink wine or kiss a fool. In 1755, if your nose itches, you will shake hands with or kiss a fool, drink a glass of wine, run against a cuckold's door, or miss them all four. And then in 1855, the itching of the nose is a sign of bad news. So I think that one's a good one to show you how one original superstition can be added onto. And it's like a game of telephone. Like, it lost all original semblance of what it originally stood for. Wine, 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 bad news. Kissing, you might kiss a fool, drink wine. They're definitely not near the same thing. This one I found really surprising. From 1904, it talks about twin animals. And an incident of them was considered an omen of great misfortune to the family. And I wondered why, because I would have thought that two would have been a sign of good luck because it's two more animals. If they're using them for dairy or meat, it's, I don't know, I would have thought that that would be a good thing. Yeah. It doesn't extend to children, though, so that's a good thing, (laughs) considering I have twins. Okay, so I think we're going to go into the fairy part, which is, uh, I added specifically to the end because fairies were my first foray into fantasy world the book the first book that i ever read that was fantasy that had fairies in it was a mary gentry book that i actually used for the base of my bouquet for my wedding so this has a little you'll probably hear a lot more fairy things so if the moon's light is bright in the night sky and the fairies or elves came out to dance you might find evidence of the dance in the form of a fairy ring known as sorcerer's rings in france Witches' rings in Germany, and I've always known them as fairy rings. But what are they really? 
Mythology explains the mushrooms in a ring for fairies or other supernatural creatures to dance around or to use as a portal between worlds. For this reason, superstition generally dictates that you should avoid stepping inside the ring at all costs. You might become invisible, you might be transported to the fairy realm, you might be injured, or you might even face death. For you will have to dance around the ring until you go mad or die, whichever comes first. To escape this fate, one must either only ever step inside a fairy ring during a full moon, or run around the ring nine times after accidentally stepping inside it. These fairy rings, or circles of mushroom, are naturally occurring but absolutely have a spooky vibe to them, and here's why. These fairy circles can range in size from a few inches to 50 meters or more. That's 164 feet of, for those of us who can't do that in our heads. And the largest ring ever recorded was found in France at a diameter of 2,000 feet. And it was 700 years old. I, I want to know how they dated that. I'm sure it's a simple explanation, but that's just amazing to me. Sometimes multiple fairy rings can exist at the same time and they'll actually overlap, causing more designs because of the overlap and that created more mythology to go along with it. But um, if this doesn't seem creepy yet, we're getting there. So the fungi called mycelium prefer fertile and damp environments, which allow the spores to grow into mushrooms. Underneath, the fungi are busy at work creating a network. Working from the outer edge of the circle to the very center, it spreads necrosis in its path. As it feeds, the fungi decompose and form a thick, organic, water-repellent cover, and the land inside the ring begins to die. Due to the fertilizer released during this process of the breakdown of the fungi, the land outside the ring stays lush and green. So you have this dark, doomy, gross, dead area inside the fairy ring. Excuse me, and bright lush green grass on the outside. And then just like that, if I could snap, you'd hear it a little better. It's gone. Um, once they've depleted an area of all of its nutrients, because that's what it does, it pops up and it feeds to eat that, and it goes underground and it will pop up somewhere else. Doesn't necessarily have to be right away or even close by. It can pop up thousands of miles away, I guess, if the land is all connected, and it will do the same cycle all over again. So I think that also led to the magic of it because they just disappear and then reappear. And there's pictures throughout history, uh, famous paintings of people being inside the fairy rings and playing music and running around them to undo the curses because who wants to get transported to the fairy realm? Back then, at least. Now it'd probably be pretty interesting. I can't say that I've seen a good fairy movie. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I mean, like, you got... Cinderella, kind of. I mean, some Disney movies are kind of. You've got a little bit of fairy in uh, Hellboy 2. I didn't see it, I don't think. Golden Army. That's at least what I would classify it as, would be fairy. It's really neat. I just finished reading the Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, and he has a lot of props from the movies inside his house. It's awesome. drool-worthy. Tim Burton has one, too. Not a... Not a Guillermo del Toro, but he has a house that holds all of his um, creations, and they actually just announced that it's uh, going on tour, and it's going to be available in Las Vegas, so I've never wanted to go, but it's a pretty rare thing for him to rent out parts of his house. Wow. Um, yeah, really would love to see that. That's awesome. And there's also a Beetlejuice play, 
musical that I just saw a couple of people I know go to, and there's a Tim Burton bar in New York City. I do not know how we got onto Halloween, but this is going to happen probably every episode. Wait, wait, wait. It's not Beetlejuice, though. It's not? Oh, it's... No, Juice Demon. Juice Demon. We will... (laughs) We will post a picture of this. It's the perfect way to avoid copyright laws is to sell a Beetlejuice costume and name it Juice Demon. Juice Demon. And it took me like three tries to figure out what was wrong with it. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. oh, so I said I would recommend that um, podcast that I was listening to that talked about the history of Tupac Shakur's death. It wasn't a topic that I was very familiar with, but this show called The Dark Side of fit specifically focuses on actually kind of what I'm very interested in learning. It's the dark history behind pop culture and icons that we don't want people to know that's swept under the rug. And their most recent episode was about Tupac. So if you're, if anybody's interested in more about that, the dark side of, it's by the Parcast Network. Okay. So it's really neat. And did you have any other recommendations or anything else to wind down the podcast? All that comes to my head is a quote by the great Michael Scott. Oh, gosh. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. A little stitious. <laughs> well, if you believe mythology and rumors and folklore and all that, don't walk under any ladders, don't break any glass. And enjoy the moon. <gasps> yes. Supposed to be a special little moon. moon madness is Friday the yeah. 13th. going to be a little extra special. It's fall. Even if it's not officially, it's fall in this household. We decorated for Halloween last week when the children went back to school. It's going to be a full moon. It'll be perfect for a bonfire. And we want to know what other Friday the 13th you've enjoyed. What good things have happened or that you've read about or experienced on a Friday the 13th. So if you post Instagram, you can tag us at an ode to the odd. If you're on Twitter, you can tag us in potties underscore. And if you have a story about Friday the 13th to share with us, use hashtag favorite Friday 13. So that way we can more easily search through them. We'd love to get to the point where we can read some of your stories and emails out loud for a mini episode and if you have any questions about us or anything that we've gone over yeah feel free to ask those as well i'm sure i messed up some of those phobia pronunciations so we we can be reached at email at podities at an ode to the odd.com and we will see you back here next friday enjoy your friday the 13th stay weird (laughs) 